Are you looking to add more distance and better form out on the disc golf course, but you're tired of chasing discs and losing them out in a huge empty field? Well, check out our friends at VisionaryDiscGolf.com. VisionaryDiscGolf.com has created the most incredible portable disc golf training net that is specifically designed to be both large enough and strong enough for disc golfers to confidently work on form and accuracy in their backyard or on the go. That means no more knocking over these soccer nets and softball nets that we've been throwing discs in. VisionaryDiscGolf.com has stepped up and created an incredible training tool specifically made for disc golf. Now you can practice your form and accuracy with your drivers, mid-range, and putters right in your backyard. You can use it for home training, field training, tournament or league warm-ups. Guys, this is amazing for coaches and trainers to work with individuals or groups. Check out our friends at VisionaryDiscGolf.com. If you love throwing discs, you're going to want to check this out. These things are affordable. They're going to be coming out with a bunch of different difficulties. So you only need to buy one base and they're going to keep creating new nets that are going to be able to help you work on different aspects of your game. VisionaryDiscGolf.com. Check them out. Click the link in the description of this show. We thank them for sponsoring this podcast, and we can't wait to hear about you guys and your experience with these incredible training nets. Hey, everybody. This is The Other Champ, Barry Schultz, and you're running it with Nate Sexton. Running it with Nate Sexton is brought to you in part by Innova, the company that drives disc technology forward. Stay tuned for what's next. Hey, Disc Golf fans, and welcome back to another episode of Running It with Nate Sexton. I am your co-host, Jared Orr. He is the Innova team captain and our host, Mr. Nate Sexton. Nate, how you doing tonight, man? I'm great, man, and at best, I'm a co-host. Let's let's be real here. We got Jared. We got Jared as well, so I'm not going to take the role of host all alone. You're you're the one that we all come to hear, man, including myself. I'm just the first fan. <laughs> I'm I'm just I'm just happy to be here and be able to talk some disc cool. golf. Uh and especially yeah, during the man. during the off season, man, I get this itch. So I'm excited to get these shows back. Yeah, me too, man. I'm and everything's great here, as usual. You know, we we played a little disc golf today. Can't can't beat it. There was even a little sunshine. I love it. <sighs> a disc golf's looking bleak for me for the for the future here. We've got a lot of snow on the ground. Although I did get roped into this winter league and uh we went out there and literally left my house where there's eighteen inches of snow, drove uh probably like a half an hour to where the course was and there was grass there. So wow. um, yeah, yeah. So I, I totally I totally lucked out with that. But um other than that it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough go for a little while here. But at least you're getting the weather up there in the Pacific Northwest. Now, Nate, um I, I get excited about every show. Every single week we have a guest, we get to talk some disc golf and hear about the, I'm super excited about today's guest. It's one that has been uh it's been a long time in the coming. Nate, who are we running it with today? We're lucky today. We've got a one-time major winner, an 11-time Elite Series winner. And in my opinion, you know, if disc golf ever gets over them mountains to the promised land, this is probably the guy driving the train that pulls us over the top of the mountain. It's Mr. Eagle McMahon. How you doing, Eagle? How's it going, guys? Thank you for having me. Oh, we're, we're glad to have you. You're, you're a, a often requested name, as you might expect, to get you on the show and get a little background on your disc golf journey and your career so far and just kind of hear what you're up to cool i like it yeah man so where are you for the off season I, you're in colorado now yep i am currently at my house actually um i i'm a homeowner so you know i probably have about two or three weeks on the house so far and you know Anyone who's moved into a new place knows that, you know, it's, it's awesome, but also there's a lot to be done. So, you know, essentially a lot of my focus is going towards, you know, getting things where I want them to be at the new home. Wow, man, that's news to me. Congratulations. Where in Boulder or where? Um, it's actually in, you know, j just a little bit outside of Boulder. 
and uh, you know, it's it's in Louisville. Okay. And for those of you who don't, some people may have been paying attention. There was um, a massive wildfire. Here, yeah, and it yeah. was. Uh, I was evacuated, so that was pretty. Uh, that was pretty intense. I spent a week at my house, and then all of a sudden. I'm evacuating and I'm scared that I'm going to lose my house to, you know, just this comp complete catastrophe. But luckily I kept my home. Everything is fine. But if you go like a quarter mile, you know, in either direction of me, it's, it looks like a scene out of the movie, just complete destruction. And, uh, you know, I, my heart goes out to my community um, it's, it's pretty, I'm pretty blessed that I, uh, you know, was able to keep my house. Wow. Yeah, that is crazy. We had some of that in Oregon last fire season. I, I saw on some article that Colorado had 115 mile an hour winds that were blowing these fires up. Like, was that, were you experiencing like winds that could knock down a house? Like, or, or was that a more localized somewhere else? No, it it was, it was that. Um, you know, in the Boulder area, there was gusts over 80 miles per hour. And then like, once you got out to kind of the more the plains and, uh, you know, kind of depends where you're at. Yeah. Uh, but there was, there was gusts recorded over 115 miles per hour. And that's, you know, that's a big red flag, you know, literally when it comes to, uh, fires, uh, just because, you know, something sparks and this, we actually yeah. didn't have, we actually didn't really have any moisture, um, up until the day after the fire, you know, those, the winds were uh, that strong because it was blowing in a front. So, um, you know, it was actually gone on record of the longest it's ever been without like a uh, uh, snowfall in the, the front range area. So everything was bone dry and it just kind of ended up being the, the perfect storm and uh, really just uh, turned out to be a complete disaster. Yeah, really scary. And definitely heart goes out to the people that were affected most by that. That's crazy, but I'm glad that your brand new property was spared at least. But wow, that's that is scary stuff. No question. Now, now I want to edit out my part about the 18 inches of snow. It doesn't sound that bad. I complained about a little <laughs> snow and the Eagles like 115 mile an hour winds. Just everything's decimated. It's uh, the snow's not that bad. I don't feel. Yeah, like well, we'll, we'll take your we'll take your snow. We'll, you know, we need we need the moisture. <laughs> <laughs> Man, well, uh, as we kind of think about talking about your beginnings in disc golf, I, the first place I feel like I got to reference people is to this amazing documentary that Jomez and you kind of collaborated on, The Eagles Trail. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. Was that pretty fun to, to make? And it's so cool that you had all that home video footage to kind of see a lot of little shots of you playing as like a 10-year-old and a 9-year-old or, or whatever age you were back then. It was really cool. Yeah, it was it was a really cool process because that's not really the the thing that you'd expect to come out of disc golf. Like uh, you know, you know, normally it's you know what is shooting in the bags and it's like telling what uh, you know people how you throw certain shots and then to have Jomez come to me and want to essentially showcase my a big part of my story of you know growing up was super cool and uh you know shout out to joma shout out to brian geis who was kind of the visionary on the project um i made a few videos and he saw that i had like this old footage and he kind of found that you know we did this we do this trail every year you know that goes around the perimeter of my hometown in boulder um so he thought that would be a really good uh you know uh narrative for storytelling and he just expanded upon that and we got to uh you know create this documentary that, you know, show kind of showcases, you know, what, what disc golf is to me, you know, the, the people who helped me get to where I am, my relationship with my dad. So all of that was just super meaningful. And, uh, it's really cool that it was able to be shared on such a, such a big platform. Yeah. The disc and, golf and, community. Yeah. And anybody who hasn't seen that, if that's possible, definitely check out Jomez Pro's YouTube to find that. It's like 30, 40 minutes, really interesting stuff and some cool footage and some really funny footage of a, a very young eagle ripping some shots that were pretty far even back in those days. <laughs> but yeah, man, uh, I think that was one of my biggest takeaways was how important your relationship with your dad is. Obviously you lost your mom at a young age, which was really unfortunate. Would you, is it fair to say, you know, in my, in my 
interactions with you guy that with you and your dad is that your dad is your biggest supporter and maybe also your toughest critic at the same time. Yeah, I would say that's that's fair, fairly accurate. My dad is a, a diehard sports fan. You know, when it comes to uh, uh, watching the Denver Nuggets or Dallas Cowboys or even watching me on the disc golf course. So, but he definitely uh, when I when I have my victories, he definitely uh, is the the person who is happiest to see me win. So, you know, yeah. having him there to you know tell me what I did wrong, but in a in a very constructive way. He's not the crazy sports dad who you know. Uh, goes off on their kid for, you know, doing something wrong. He, uh, he offers, you know, constructive criticism, you know, 99 times out of a hundred. But then, uh, you know, when I, when I bring home that, uh, that trophy, he's, uh, the first one to be the happiest. Yeah. And I mean, he's quite a good player, right? I mean, he, he's had his share of, he's had some open victories, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he kind of has stopped competing, uh, you know, as he's gotten older, you know, he just kind of t- took a step back from disc golf to, you know, do some other things. And also, you know, he he found that he got a little too competitive and he kind of just wanted to enjoy disc golf for what it is. Uh, but the the coolest stat was at one point, me and my dad were in the 990s together. And that's uh, essentially I, I went towards 1000 and he kind of went towards 980. And, you know, we went our separate ways on the rating scale. But, you know, that was uh, that kind of showcases. Uh, you know, where our skill levels were at and, you know, what kind of uh, players we are at the time. Yeah, yeah. As they say, father time undefeated. D- difficult difficult <laughs> to keep that rating up as you get older. But, he, yeah, obviously a great player. 990 is a really, really strong rating. So, you know, he, he knows what he's talking about, at least. Even if he hasn't thrown 700-foot shots, he knows the strategy of the game and he can see, you know, where you might have gone wrong in certain situations. So definitely a great guy to have for you uh, to help you out in the low moments and to celebrate the high moments. That's awesome. Uh, the next thing I wanted to talk to you about, we talked about this in uh, Arizona one time about your upbringing as well, is your your path through education because you didn't really do like a traditional public school. In fact, you, your dad and you told me that you considered yourself unschooled, which I had never heard that term before. Explain to us kind of what that means and, and what your, your upbringing was like from like an education standpoint. Yeah. So if anyone's, you know, curious about uh, you know, this on a little bit more broad detail, I highly recommend you go check out the Eagles trail if you have not on Jomez, but you know, to, to run you through it. Essentially, when I was born, um, my mom was, uh, kind of the visionary behind this concept, you know, uh, being from Boulder, Colorado. And, you know, if, if you see uh, my grandparents and their, my family that, you know, they're kind of alternative thinkers. So, you know, I, was essentially homeschooled all my life, but, you know, another branch of homeschooling is unschooling and kind of the philosophy behind that is, you know, it's kind of ingrained in, you know, humans to learn and everyone learns at their own pace. Um, so, you know, essentially I had a curriculum that I followed and, you know, I had, you know, my grandparent, my grandparents, my mom, my dad, you know, telling me what to do, but, you know, essentially, you know, there wasn't, it's a lot looser curriculum compared to, you know, what, what's in a normal school. So I kind of just learned at my own pace and kind of went towards what my interests were. And, you know, as, um, you know, I started playing when I was, I started playing disc golf when I was uh, nine years old, you know, anything past that, I kind of, you know, was able to make more time to disc golf and, you know, whatever else my interests were. So I feel like, you know, that's kind of a, an unfair advantage that I got to a lot of other kids to, uh, you know, uh, essentially, you know, hone my craft and essentially turn that into my career. So, uh, yeah. you, you and, uh, you important. and Wysocki both, I think. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I he kind of had a similar, he was homeschooled and he's like, yeah, I was pretty young, but I was playing four hours a day, you know, or whatever it was, you know, when mm-hmm. he was, once he got his schoolwork done. But yeah, man, that's cool. Uh, I feel like, and you're going to remember this better than me, I think, because you're so much younger than I am and it, and your career is not quite as long just yet. But I, I think it was 2017. And that's kind of when I feel like I got to know you a little bit better because you, you kind of came along with Paul and I to Europe. Is that, is that the right year? Do you think it was 2016? 2016. 2016. See, yep. I knew, uh-huh. I knew I could count on you, but yeah, we <laughs> went, you, you kind of, UC hooked, hooked you up with us and you kind of like shared hotels with us and we all rode around together and, and did the whole Europe thing, and we did some uh, 
I feel like we must have done some McBeast challenges, right? Where where we taught some clinics and we did some autograph signings and stuff like that. Yeah, from what I remember, we uh, we did maybe like a two or three week trip over to Europe, and the yeah. first part of that trip was um, over in Finland, and that was pretty much all McBeast challenges, and I it kind of gave me an opportunity to you know go have uh, yourself and Paul show me the ropes over in Europe. Uh, so we did that, and then. We uh, headed over to Sweden. We took an overnight ferry over the Baltic yeah, Sea. That was to, fun. Uh, to play uh, the European Masters, which took place at Yarva Disc Golf Park. So yeah, that was my first time ever to Europe. It was super cool because uh, you know that was that was essentially like my second year on the kind of the pro tour. Yeah. So uh, you know, I how I, old were you? Um, I just turned eighteen that year, so I was like. You know, going to Europe and touring still is super exciting to me, but I was like super big eyed on everything. Like, you know, I, I definitely was, uh, you know, starstruck going to Europe with Paul Macbeth and Nate Sexton. So that was, um, <laughs> you know, definitely a, a really cool moment and also a pivotal moment in my disc golf career. Nice, man. Yeah. I remember your eyes getting pretty big when those fins were trying to force you to drink a drink about as big as your head. On the boat. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! I remember that. Oh man! <laughs> oh man! Yeah, That's, good good times hey, though. That was hey, really fun. Hey, it was legal over there. Yeah, no, it was fully. It was legal. It wasn't nothing. Nothing shady going on. But that drink was very tropical and very large. From what very I tropical. Yep, very tropical. <laughs> All right, cool, man. Well, yeah, I the one thing that that I kind of remember from that uh, spending that time with you, especially in a foreign place, was the the restrictions that your diet poses for you as you're trying to travel uh for one i want to get the update on where what your diet is these days but also just kind of hear some uh tips and and you know hear some of the challenges you have because i remember you eating in sweden we walked over and you were just having pasta with a ton of black pepper on it that was it no sauce just hammering it with black pepper and just eating dry pasta (laughs) I mean, it was cooked, but it was just no sauce, no nothing. Just the most black pepper I've ever seen a human use. <laughs> oh, man, I remember that, too. Yeah, that was right <laughs> over by the hotel. Yep. Um, yeah, so, you know, there's there's definitely a bunch of restrictions. And um, so, for those who don't know, I, I follow or followed – I still do. I'll, I'll get to that a little bit later, but at the time – a vegan diet. So that essentially means no animal products of any kind, no dairy, no eggs, no meat. Um, so, you know, that's going to present some challenges, but most places in the world, you can find stuff if you go to a grocery store and you kind of have to have like a knowledge of um, how to cook. Cause uh, you know, you're going to have to go to the grocery store and you're going to be, have to be able to like, you know, know what, uh, what's going to taste good and also how you're going to get your nutrition. So it's a little bit more complicated than, you know, just going out to a restaurant and then getting whatever, but essentially, you know, going to new places, you're, you're most handcuffed or it's going to be the most difficult for like a plant-based person to find something to eat. If you're going to like most places that everyone else is going, like, you know, just a bar or, you know, a, a burger place. Cause then you're going to really have to like eat a super, uh, you know, basic, or like singular ingredient meals. So like, for example, I was eating pasta with nothing on it, but black pepper. But you know, if you're, you know, if you go to more like, you know, Asian style, Indian style restaurants, then you're going to be way more likely to find something that, you know, not going to be so, you know, simple. Um, But uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was one, one of many times where I had to, you know, make a, make a sacrifice to eat something extremely simple. And, you know, honestly, kind of weird to uh, a lot of people's eyes. Yeah, I mean, it's toughest over there, I feel like, in Europe because, you know, renting a car abroad is expensive and, like, kind of complicated. And and all those European tournaments, they do a pretty good job of either having a shuttle service or having our tournament hotel so close to the venue, like it was for Yarva, that we could just walk to our tea times, which is awesome until you need to, like, go to the right type of restaurants. And all, all we had was walking. So that that I remember that being kind of a tricky week for you. Yeah, for sure. You know, I remember eating a lot of falafel because that's what was at the course, and luckily they had something um, at yeah. Yarva. Uh, but you know, 
a lot of the times when I'm, you know, abroad or, you know, in a kind of a tricky situation that I, I just rely on grocery stores. And, you know, uh, in the later years, when I became more successful, I realized that, you know, my diet was kind of holding me back to a certain extent. And, you know, the way I was traveling and I just kind of took control of it more and was able to, you know, really, you know, get the type of food I needed and kind of, you know, prioritize going to, you know, more healthy style vegan restaurants. And I've, I've noticed a huge increase in performance when I'm eating, you know, the, the right thing opposed to, you know, just, uh, you know, random pasta and like granola bars. Sure. Sure. And so, so what are right now? Are you, would you call yourself vegan or has it morphed a little bit? It's morphed a little bit. I'm, I'm plant. I consider myself probably 90 to 95 plant-based. I'm a little bit more relaxed on what I eat. Um, that still doesn't really, that doesn't include any dairy. No, no, no meat. I have incorporated just maybe a little bit of fish into the diet, um, you know, here and there to, you know, maybe get some, um, some different types of protein, omega threes and some of the stuff that's not as easily found in, um, plant sources. Not to say that you can't do it because I did, but I just wanted to make it a little bit easier on myself. And, uh, you know, essentially going so many different places, if I can open up my options a little bit, it, uh, it makes things a lot easier on me. Yeah. Maybe a little honey occasionally or. Yeah. I mean, I'm eating honey. There we go. Um, r- really, really what it comes down to is like the sources of it. Like, yeah, you know, t- to, to the average person, I'm still going to be vegan, but like, you know, I, I got to find some like, uh, really high quality honey or some, you know, wild caught fish, things along those yeah. lines. And, uh, you know, chances are I might not even eat it then. It's just basic. It's kind of, uh, whenever I feel the need to do it. So, you know, still for the most part, plant-based uh diet's essentially the same but you know there's there is a little bit of wiggle room yeah cool makes great sense so excited to introduce rogue discs to our listeners guys check them out on their website roguediscs.com or you can just scroll down in the description of this show and Anna will be nice enough to put a link right there for you to click and get on there uh, Nate this website is awesome when you get on the website they've got the dynamic flow chart set up you can put the specifics to the kind of disc that you like and they will go ahead and show you all the discs that fit into the speeds and the fade and everything that you want there they've got more than 20,000 discs and over 600 mold and plastic combinations in stock they've got some awesome new hand warmers for those of us on my side of the country that are trying to get out there and play in the cold check out roguediscs.com and nate for our listeners there 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 got to be a way to save them a little bit of money right oh yeah we got our code run it 10 10% off your first purchase i just want to thank them for coming on board it's awesome to have them working with us and also say it's definitely hand warmer season over here as well. So I'm looking forward to trying those out. These are the electric ones you can recharge. I've been going through the Costco pack. I'm generating trash. I don't need to do that. I'm, I'm going to get digital with my hand warmer technology. Nate Sexton stepping his game up, guys. So roguediscs.com and we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. Uh, let's skip ahead, I guess, to... 2017 Aussie Open. I want to talk about that one. I know you kind of had the GBO as a little bit of a coming out party a couple years before that. By 2017, you're established pro. You already you already came to Europe with Paul McBeth and Nate Sexton, so you knew almost everything there was to know. And then you're there uh, in in Australia, and you had a great battle with Ricky Wysocki, where you guys were just averaging incredible round ratings, pushing up near 1070. Um, what do you remember about that tournament? You end up losing by one, but uh, but what do you remember about it? Yeah, this is, this is definitely, uh, one that sticks out in my memory. Um, you know, if you, it's kind of, uh, you got to take the good with the bad. Uh, and I've, I've definitely, you know, it's been a teeter totter. I've definitely thought, you know, it was more of a negative than a positive at times, but it definitely kind of shaped who I, who I was as a player and who I am as a player, you know, from that moment. Uh, but like the, the overall experience going to Australia was so cool and, you know, I've noticed that if I'm excited about the place I'm going to, I'm probably going to, uh, you know, have a, a better time there, which is going to lead me to, uh, you know, p- play at a higher level. And Australia was no exception. You know, traveling, you know, 
across the world to play disc golf. That's that felt that made me feel like uh, a superstar. Like that was the kind of the first time that I felt like, all right, I'm one of the elite players. And, you know, after playing that tournament, seeing my name at the top of the leaderboard for a major and, you know, going to the last couple of holes, like people are expecting me to win. I was actually winning that tournament 71 out of the 72 holes in the last <laughs> hole. I Ricky, remember it. Ricky gets me by one. And oh man, I've definitely had some nightmares about that. I still do. Uh, but luckily, uh, you know, in the future, I can uh, kind of resolve that pain and, uh, you know, come through at the end. Yeah, and it it didn't take you that long to uh, to get the major win because it was the very next year, 2018. Be hard to have a nightmare about this place, I'm guessing, for you because at Kono Piste that year, I, I mean, dominant is the word for it. You you shot a 1067 average. You were just kind of going course record, course record, course record, from what I imagine or what I remember. I feel like you beat me by nearly 20, <laughs> uh, and I was still in the top 10. Uh, that one must be a much more fond memory, and you kind of just hit your groove in an incredible way. That course sets up so well for you with not a lot of risk to scare you off of going full gas off the tee pads, right? So you were able to just get way down there. Yeah. You know, it's been so long since I played that course, but, you know, what what I remember on it, you know, there's not a lot of out-of-bounds, but there's a lot of a lot of scorable shots, and... If you look at some of my finishes, I feel like I play kind of the the birdie or die style courses pretty well when it comes to like the Memorial, Vegas, um, and Kona Piste because I think uh, you know I had to go 16 under, 16 under, 14 under. So you know if you're not if you're not putting up these crazy low scores, then you're not going to really be able to compete on those courses. And for whatever reason, I I'm able to kind of uh, play those courses pretty well. So. A lot of a lot of birdies out there, and I was just able to get on a good find find some grooves on every single round and bring home a major victory, which is definitely really cool to say because uh, not not a lot of players have that acc- accolade. Yeah, for sure. And it was right about that time uh, when I remember you saying in some interviews that you you were setting out to play Sexton golf, which I take to mean sort of a calculated style where you're like picking your spots. And I took that as a huge compliment. And I have two questions for you about that. For one, do you feel like it worked? And number two, is it too late for me to start playing McMahon golf? (laughs) All right. Let's answer the first one. Um, Yeah. So it was actually in 2017, I felt like my game was so, unrefined it was crazy i was going for everything uh if you were to look at my udisc stats i think my ob rate was just absolutely ridiculous and i was tired of it and i just realized okay if i clean clean this up you know i can save like 10 10 strokes a tournament which you know puts me in the top 10 almost every time and even have a chance at winning and i said okay that's kind of gonna that's gonna be my focus for for 20 or uh 2018 and essentially, you know, that, that was exactly what I needed to do. And I, I had the first or second best scramble rate off the tee, or I don't know off the tee, but you know, scramble rate, my yeah. OB rate went way down and I became a consistent top 10 golfer. And I was also competing for the win at, you know, a lot of events. So yeah, I would say that Sexton golf was a uh, pretty successful. I remember my what first came out of my mouth when I heard you say that was, "Oh well, I'll never win again," because <laughs> because if this guy if he if my secret's out and this guy starts trying to play like me, but he goes a hundred feet farther on every shot, it's going to be tough to beat him. And it turned out to be true. Well, the thing the thing is, the last last year and the year before, I feel like uh, I feel like I kind of need to incorporate a little bit more sex than golf in my game. I've kind of gotten a little a little sloppy. Hey man, it's it's all a cycle. You get you get you yeah. get aggressive. Sometimes it works, and you got to dial it back. You know that. So yeah. Hey, I'll, I'll, I'm going to keep taking that as a compliment. If it, if it worked for you, that's awesome. And I think I I think we all know the answer about me playing McMahon golf. That's going to get that's going to be tough. Some of those lines, I just am not sure I'm I'm going to be hitting those uh, anytime soon or anytime in the past. If I had a time machine, I don't think it would help me much. So you know whatever uh, self. Uh 
self expectations you have of yourself, then uh, you can go with those. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> all right, man. Well, I got some really cool statistics here that I want to run by you. This is all courtesy of Statmando. Those guys put this together for me today, uh, and I think it's pretty interesting. This is a table that I've got right in front of me, and I'll quote you a couple stats off of it. This is Eagle McMahon and Paul McBeth. Their statistics aged 8,673 days, which is exactly how old you are today, my friend. So this is Paul McBeth at your exact age. What kind of statistics was he able to put up? Kind of take a look at both of your early career trajectories, because I feel like you don't get enough credit for because you're as young as you are. We've like forgotten how young you are because you've been so good for quite a few years now. And you almost don't get credit for being like one of the young guys, but you really still are only 23 years old. So I want to kind of highlight that and take a look at you versus Paul. Pretty interesting stuff. You you have played 169 pro tournaments, and Macbeth had played 175. You both have exactly 100 podium finishes so far. You both have played 18 majors. So this this comparison is pretty sweet because you guys your statistics are really similar from that standpoint. In terms of major wins, I think you know he's got you. It's four to one. Major podiums, four to four. Major top tens, you have the edge. Fourteen top tens out of eighteen starts for you, which is which is fantastic. And uh, Macbeth has eight to your fourteen. So that's pretty pretty big uh, swing in your favor in terms of consistency up there in the top ten. Uh, obviously I think, you know, with the state of the game these days, you're crushing them in all the cash one totals. You've cashed for $221,000 to his 135,000, uh, through these early seasons in your career, which amounts to kind of an interesting thing to think about when you're out there, you're getting paid $7 and 70 cents per throw so far in your career. Not bad. Okay. Nice. You know, those bogeys, those are nice. That's that's like good money in a bogey. A birdie is only yeah. getting you 15 bucks, but a bogey, that's $30. All right. So you got to think about some of that. Um, as, far, as far as Elite Series, you've played uh, way more because there are way more, I think. 62 for you to only 38 for Paul. 11 wins for you, 9 for him. Uh, your percentages on the podium, pretty similar. And yeah, man, I, what do you think? I think, it's, I think it's fairly close. I mean, you haven't quite cracked through on those majors but i just feel like that's coming for you if you can keep going i think those majors gonna those doors are going to open up and the other thing i think is that every time you hear people try to compare Macbeth and climo one of the first arguments that comes out is it was easier back in climo's day and there's nothing that says you can't use that argument against paul now because it's a different time now than it even was in 2012 in my opinion yeah it's it's I'm the worst person when it comes to like speculating on this and like comparisons because like you just said, I feel like there's so many different factors and you know, I appreciate you and stat Mando giving me those. Those are definitely some, uh, you know, cool stats for the fans. Yeah. Um, and I, I like hearing them too. Like the, to say that, uh, you know, at my age, I got more wins than Macbeth, uh, yep. in terms of elite series. That's, you know, that's, that's a bit of a confidence booster for but, sure. Obviously, it's it's a little bit different because, you know, one thing is I feel like we're kind of at a unfortunate deficit of majors. You know, yeah. when, Paul, when Paul when Paul won five majors in 2015, you know, how many other years has there been five majors? Back and in what, uh, last year, there like, was just two. Yeah, or um, you know, 2020, there was just one essentially with yeah. um, with the, just the USDGC. So. You know, yeah. I'm not we're, I'm not getting as many chances, which is kind of unfortunate. But you know, due to you know, a, you know the obvious circumstance, COVID. But you know, I'd like to to see in the future, you know, at least four majors a year, just to you know help me, uh, you know, get closer to those uh, Macbeth stats. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And you, but though you have both played 18 majors, exactly to this age. Oh. Okay. So at least that's even, even though there has been, you okay. know, you both missed out on a couple lately because obviously Macbeth is still uh, quite a problem at those majors, uh, even at, at the ripe old age of 31 or whatever he is these <laughs> days. Uh, but yeah, man, I, I just thought that was interesting. It's fun to look at and, and see the trajectory you're on because obviously you got a long career ahead of you. And I, I think we're all excited to see what where you stack up when you're when you're uh, into your 30s. But uh, but yeah, man, just interesting stuff. I wanted to see what you thought. 
Let's see. What do we got next? I wanted to ask, or I, I kind of wanted to think, I, I guess this is another good question because this is about you in the future. Uh, I want to get your take on this one. I feel like you've pushed the limits of what's possible in disc golf, you and some other guys. I'm not saying you've done it all by yourself, but I expect you're still going to show us a lot more in the coming years with your game and what you're able to do with distance and the consistency you have on the putting green. It is, however, inevitable that someday you'll be 30 or 35 and you'll be playing in a tournament and you'll be grouped up with a 19-year-old kid who you're going to beat by a lot, but he's going to do a couple things that blow your mind, and that's just going to happen. And it's hard for me to imagine from where I'm sitting what he could possibly do that would blow your mind. Like, is it more distance? Is it a crazy putt? Is it throwing just as far left-handed as he does right-handed? What do you think is coming that's going to supplant you from the top of disc golf eventually, and you're going to be like, holy cow, the kids today. Like, what what skill set do you think that could possibly be? Well, before answering this question, I'm going to do as much as I can to prevent that from happening. Of course. You know, you know shout out to Seth at Disc Golf Strong. Hopefully he can, you know, help, you know, protect protect me from those uh those kids in the future. Yeah, I mean I said and you're going to beat him. Don't worry. You're going to beat him still, <laughs> well, I, but he's I, just going to be wanna one hang, hole. I want I want to I want to hang with him in in most cases, but yeah. you know, to to what you're saying, I one of the things you said was throwing left-handed as far as a right-hand shot, assuming that, you know, right hand is dominant. I think that's something that's coming in disc golf that's going to blow a lot of people's mind. The ambidextrous, you know, just being able to, you know, throw left hand essentially in place of a sidearm because, yeah. you know, I think, uh, you know, sidearm's great, but it's tough on the body. And also you kind of max out on a, a lot of distance and just the mechanics of throwing left-handed is the same, you know, it's the same backhand same as with backhand, you're able to get a lot more distance. So I think if you can translate that to the left side of your body, there's going to be, that's going to allow players to do some crazy things, especially, you know, you know, the new crop of talent who, you know, start when they're eight years old and throw, you know, equally far with both hands, then you're going to just see some crazy things in the future. Yeah. Could, could you imagine if they had the forehand also with both hands? I mean, I almost feel like a dead straight 250 foot shot would start to get confusing if you had <laughs> if you had lefty righty backhand and lefty righty forehand and they're all dialed. I I think that's it's coming in the future. I mean, I'm I'm trying to develop it. I, nice. You know, I think that's going to be something that'll be you know fun to showcase. You know, I, I got some work to do still, but you know, it's 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 on the back burner. It's it's simmering right now. Nice. Maybe I'm left-handed. Maybe that's what I've been doing wrong this whole time. <laughs> I've been going out there throwing righty. Meanwhile, the lefty's dialed in, and I haven't even tried it yet. You're not, you're not listening, Jared. It's both. You need to be both. Lefty's not well, going to get it done. Well, I'm just thinking maybe in general that's yeah, what the issue is. It's yeah. got to be something. It might win you the winter league. Maybe the left hand could win you the winter league, but you're not getting up there on the podium but the majors until you go both-handed. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> cool well yeah I, I was interested what you thought about that because i i just feel like from from my perspective it's kind of like wow you know that like you parked a 700 foot air shot recently at that match play thing and it's just incredible and you just think there's no way where's this where's the ceiling of this game and there just isn't a ceiling and it's just fun yeah. to think fun to imagine the next crop and the guy who throws even farther than you and all those guys are coming and it's just it's just fun and exciting to think yeah. about what, well, the thing is, I'll add on top of this is when I grew up, I had Climo, I had uh, Nate Doss, I had Avery Jenkins, and then, you know, as I got a little older, I saw Simon Lazat, and I kind of saw those players as the guys I needed to model my game after. So as soon as someone starts throwing ambidextrous and, you know, throws these crazy shots you know throws cut rollers that's going to be the person a young kid watches yep. and starts incorporating those shots in the game he'll realize okay i got if i want to be like said person i got to practice these shots as to where you know when i was you know growing up i wasn't even practicing left-handed or anything like that so you know that puts me at a little bit of a 
you know, behind the learning curve. So that's how, you know, progression is going to keep taking place in the future. You're just going to, you do, you do the work, but then the young kids are so, they're like sponges. They just take everything in and then the cycle will continue. And then, you know, 10, 20 years down the line, you, the, the players will be, you know, 1080, 1090 rated. And, you know, it'll, it'll just be, it'll be crazy to see. Yeah. I can't wait. I, I can't wait to be just a course designer and just going like, oh, can they, can they really do this? Like what, <laughs> what, it'd just be fun to try, try to stump, try to stump you and the guys coming after you. That'd be fun. I'm going to, I'm going to see what I can do. Uh, okay. This next one, I've, I've, I've often cited you when I make this argument, uh, because I feel like when you first came onto the scene, you didn't really have this cannon forehand. That wasn't really one of your things. And now it obviously is like 450 foot flip up forehands. And I've often said, you know, being a, a pretty both way player where I can throw the backhand and the forehand both fairly well, that, uh, if you, if you're the type of athlete that has high arm speed, it should work on both sides of your body. And that a guy like, say, like a Drew Gibson, there is a huge forehand in there somewhere if he puts in the time. Do you agree with that? I think so. It's, it's, I don't really know the full potential because the thing is, I, I've thrown forehand for a long time. I've kind of, let's just say this, I've thrown it enough as a kid to develop it develop it over the years i don't know if that's the case for everybody yeah and you know i think you got to have some muscle memory and you can definitely work on stuff everyone's different every everyone's genes are different everyone has a different ceiling and they don't know what they're fully capable of so you know i wouldn't be surprised if drew put in some work and then all of a sudden we start seeing a 400 450 forehand uh just because you know he has that that uh rotational uh torque yeah yeah that always made sense to me that if you're a powerful athlete on the backhand it doesn't make a lot of sense to me why you, that wouldn't translate given the work and i get it it's like it's hard work and there's the risk of injury and you know there's nothing wrong with being a backhand dominant player by any stretch but i always just sort of thought yeah you know eagle i mean i know you've been throwing the forehand since you were little but i just feel like that was sort of a when you when the world was first introduced to you, you weren't really throwing these cannon forehands as much as you do now. Is that does that feel accurate to you? I feel like we didn't know you had that until a little bit later. Yeah, I would say that's that's pretty accurate. And a lot of it came with uh, when we came, when we brought out the cloud breaker. Sure. Uh, I, I felt like you know when I first signed with this mania, I was kind of forced to throw. Um, a PD2, which for those who don't know is like a really overstable disc. I didn't really get that much distance out of it, but as soon as I started finding the right discs, it kind of allowed me to, you know, develop this flip up forehand. So, uh, for a long time, I don't think I could have incorporated my game a little bit sooner, but I didn't, I don't really feel like I had the tools. Plus being here in Colorado, everything's so wide open, you know, for the most part that I just threw spike hyzer backhands and never really found the need for a forehand. So it just, uh, it gradually developed as, you know, I, I realized, okay, this would be a very useful shot. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Without a doubt, every single week in my disc golf league, there's somebody that pulls out a dyed disc out of their bag and everybody sits and they look at it and they examine it and they, it's this big thing and I've always wanted to be that guy. Now I am that guy because of my friends over at Greasy Dyes. That's Greasy with a Z, Dyes. GreasyDyes.com. Guys, you owe it to yourself to go check out this website. Here's a guy that does amazing custom dye jobs. These are work of art on plastic, and they're affordable, which means you can take it, you can throw it in your bag, and you can be the guy at League showing off your awesome custom dye. Visit GreasyDyes.com. Use code RUNIT10. You guys already know. Save yourself a little bit of money, but do yourself a favor and check out Greasy Dyes on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Guys, the dye jobs on these discs are amazing. When we came across him and we started talking, I knew that if we were going to recommend a custom dyer, it was going to be Greasy Dyes on this show. 
greasydies.com, code run at 10, save yourself some money, and get that awesome diet disc in your bag and be the star of next week's league or the next round that you're out there on the disc golf course. I feel like uh, among all the, the touring players, you do as much, if not more, work on your body and your mental kind of game and mental coaching. I know you've, like, you know, interacted with professionals in, like, sports psychology and, and mental training and stuff. And obviously you, you shouted out uh, Seth at Disc Golf Strong, who's helping you as well. Uh, how important, I mean, I know you're going to say really important, but talk to us a little bit about how important that has been for you. It is the, it's the reason why my game took a drastic turn for the better in 2018. Um, one of the coolest experiences of my life was going to Switzerland, uh, in the, the first month of 2018 to, to train with my teammate Simon Lazat. This mania, you know, put us both in a training camp, you know, and essentially what that told me was how I needed to start viewing disc golf because before I was this talented kid who, you know, threw far, but like I said, 2017, I needed to incorporate Sexton golf. I was all over the place. I was unrefined, but just that discipline of waking up, going to the gym, you know, going on a run you know, putting down my goals, that was kind of the, the tipping point for me to, you know, become, become a real disc golf athlete before I was just a talented kid. So ever since 2018, I felt, feel like my, my goals in the off season were more clear. I needed to train and that doesn't mean go putt for, you know, five hours. That doesn't mean go throw for five hours in the field. Like that's very valuable at a certain point in your disc golf career. But as you, as you progress, you know, there's only marginal returns because you've done it all before. Once the muscle memory is there, you're not going to really improve on it too much. There's other ways that you can become better. And I believe that's in the gym. I believe that's, you know, putting down your goals. I believe that's meditating. I believe there's plenty of other ways to become a better athlete and also within that, a better person, which in my, I think those go hand in hand. Yeah. I think especially with the power you're throwing and the, the, the rigorous touring schedule, I mean, the physical work just to have the resistance to injury, I think is so important to be able to have a a nice long career and be there week in and week out competing for those top spots. Uh, if, if you're not putting in that kind of work, I think you're, you're way more likely to, you know, be sitting out months at a time because you hurt yourself. Yeah. The sport of disc golf is, is really interesting. And if you talk to Seth at disc golf strong and get some other opinions from players, I think the closest parallel sport to disc golf is honestly baseball when it comes to schedule and what that the cadence of the game what we ask out of our bodies we're we're throwing and like with pitchers a pitchers specifically perhaps exactly and a pitcher he pitches a game and then doesn't pitch again for the next five days and with a being a disc golfer i mean you you go out and you're throwing practice shots you're throwing you're throwing 15 24 hands around every day so and a lot of the time you're not really getting a chance to get the gym you're not getting like uh you know perfect nutrition like a lot of the athletes are you're not getting the the physical therapy so you kind of have to take it upon yourself and what what it is it's a lot of discipline and you know i i try to do it and i feel like i do a decent job but i'm always trying to get better and uh, i have goals to uh you know increase my discipline out on the out on the tour so i can become more injury resistant but also increase uh my performance yeah man wow you got somebody spying on me or something because you just said 15 to 24 hands a day not really going to the gym and not having the greatest nutrition (laughs) 
Sounds like you've been watching me. <laughs> uh, no comment. <laughs> oh, cool, man. Well, uh, I, you said writing down your goals. That kind of leads me into another thing I wanted to ask you about. Kind of getting to the end of my questions here. I don't want to keep you too long, but... In, at this point in your career, how do you approach goal setting? As we look forward to 2022 and beyond, I'm kind of curious what kind of season it would take for you to feel successful when there's really like no visible ceiling in sight for your your skills uh, when you're out there playing these tournaments. So this is a question that I ask myself a lot, and it's tough because I got to truly just ask myself because looking – at expectations of me can get a little bit stressful because there's been so many times where, you know, you have the Instagram post and people are saying, Oh, who's going to win worlds in, you know, 2022 or whatever year it is. you know, who's going to do well at this tournament. And then, you know, they're picking your name. And then if you read it, then you see someone else's name and then you get kind of stressed out. And, you know, a little bit of that's good because it can help light a fire, but you don't want that to dictate what you actually want. So what I try to do is, you know, kind of keep my head out of, you know, social media, what, you know, everyone expects out of me and just kind of turn inward to what I want to do. And it's, I like, I like winning just as much as the next guy. For me, winning means that my hard work paid off and what I want to do is work hard and be proud of that. And even if that doesn't mean winning, then I want to know that I gave it my best shot. And what that is, is training, you know, being mindful in my practice rounds, showing high levels of discipline, you know, going to bed at the right time. So a successful 2022 for me would be essentially focusing on everything that I can control and I believe that if I do that, then that's going to, you know, correlate to good finishes and essentially, you know, me having a great season. Yeah, I think that's that's a wise way to go about it. I, I often think to myself that the only goal sometimes I try to try to convince myself that the only goal I have is to throw a shot that I can be proud of. And that doesn't even necessarily mean it's parked. It just means that I hit it hard or I, you know, focused on my, on my aim point and I just like commit through the shot or the putt or whatever. But I, I try to make the goal simple like that and kind of abstract where it's not like you have to win this or you have to, you know, check these boxes. It's more just like, you know, get, go out there and give it your all is what, kind of what it, what it boils down to. And that's, that's extremely tough. Like that's uh that's pretty, it's a pretty idealist way of looking at things, but I, I like to have that as kind of the underlying narrative because I definitely get lost in, you know, knowing that there's a world champion on the line, like a world championship on the line. I definitely did that in Utah and I kind of, you know, got my eyes too big and I kind of lost, you know, sight of that, of that underlying uh, goal that I had. So it definitely, you know, is elusive, but as long as you can remind yourself of it and, you know, strive towards that way of thinking, I think that's what's ultimately important. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, man, I got a really only one more question for you. And that's just uh, pretty simple. In, in your mind today, uh, what's your biggest strength and your biggest weakness out there? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I my my biggest strength, I I think, is um, if I put my mind to something, I feel like uh, I can achieve it pretty pretty good. But also, it's a double-edged sword. My biggest weakness is kind of the same thing. It's my own head. Um, if I psych myself out or think I can't do something or you know have have doubt, then uh, that's going to be my my greatest enemy. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I think. Uh... That's about all I have. I, I I look forward to seeing you out there. Jarrett might have a question for you as well. I, I'm pretty sure we'll be. Uh, I'll see you on the first tee in Vegas, probably, right? I, if they're still doing the the last four champions thing, so I'll, I'll probably be looking forward to playing my first round of the my first competitive round of the year with you. That'd be sweet. I I can't wait. Yeah. So I will see you there, man. And I I, I don't know, Jarrett. You got anything for him, or can we let this guy go? I, 
yeah, we're gonna we're gonna let him go. I just have to. I I gotta address the elephant in the room here because having Eagle on the phone or having Eagle on the call here with us is like watching the the big blue chip quarterback in in college football. Even though Eagle's been in the pros and has been doing it for so long, we know that we're talking to the next millionaire in disc golf at some point. It's coming. Eagle, watching these big contracts getting signed and all of these things, I mean, I think Nate mentioned it earlier. We forget that you're still a baby in this sport. <laughs> I mean, it seems like it was like 10 years ago they're dropping a watermelon on you for Santa Cruz miss, but, like, you're you're 23 years old. Uh, you know, you've got a long way to go. These contracts are getting big. It's got to be exciting watching this come and knowing that you're you're probably the next one to get that payday. Yeah, I mean it's it's great for the sport seeing Paul Ricky get these these huge contracts because it just shows that what we do is is legitimate and uh, you know it gives us something to work towards. It gives me something to work towards. It gives you know that you know the, the kids over in Finland something to work towards. The kids here, so it's it's all really exciting and uh, I feel like I have a, a place in it and you know essentially what it comes down to is I, I, I still have to go out there and do the work. I got to make it happen. Uh, but, you know, having that, uh, some of that of, as an incentive definitely helps. I'm not in it for the money, but, uh, you know, it definitely, uh, it definitely helps sometimes. Yeah, man, you're a homeowner now. Yeah. I, I want, I want to be able to pay my mortgage. Yeah, for real. Yeah. You, you deserve that much. Definitely. I have a feeling. I have a feeling you're not going to have any issues doing that for uh, for quite some time now with the direction that this the sport is heading in. Now, Nate, I got to ask you because you had mentioned some of the lines that Eagle throws and some of the things that he can do when when you're out there and you're playing around and you've got someone like Eagle on your card. Does it make you? Do you think twice after you watch him throw? Like, man, I know what line I was gonna go with, but I don't even know what he just saw there. Maybe I could have <laughs> you. And, or Eagle, do you ever notice people thinking like they watch you? Like, oh my god, this kid's twenty-two. He just threw it over that tree. I'm gonna throw it over that tree, and then they don't come close to throwing it over that tree. Um, I, I, I like to see them try. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm smart enough not to try most of the time. I I don't really, you know, if I'm playing with, you know, there's been a couple different times where I've gotten the the honor of, of playing a card with Simon Eagle and Macbeth, and, and it's always a fun time, and I just kind of bring a lot of high fives and try to do what I do, and usually I can stay pretty competitive just by playing the way I play, but, uh, but no, I'm not uh, likely to change my game plan based on one of the most talented throwers I've ever seen. All three of those guys. If Might they be do able to trick you with a roller or something. Maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah. But I, you know, even then, I, I, I know what I'm. I'm know I'm, I'm messing with a guy who can really get that roller out there. So, I pretty much, you know, all of us kind of have our game plan pretty locked in. I think by the time you get to the the tournament, unless it gets super windy or something really weird is going on, then that's the only time when you kind of would consider trying something different than what you've been practicing. I think. Hey guys, if you're anything like me, when you're out there on the course, you're not laying it up. And now you can let everybody know with your very own Running It with Nate Sexton t-shirt brought to you by our friends at VII Apparel CO. VII Apparel CO, formerly the Savage Apparel Company, is the official apparel partner of the Disc Golf Pro Tour. They have the official jersey partner of Joe Mez Pro, and they're the official jersey partner of our host, Nate Sexton. And now you can get your very own Running It With Nate Sexton shirt at viiapparel.co. VII Apparel is the home of all your disc golf apparel for when you're out on the course. They represent disc golfers like Nate Sexton, Chris Dickerson, Avery Jenkins, Madison Walker, and so many more. Home of the Disc Golf Pro Shop, where you can start your own disc golf apparel line with VII. VIIapparel.co is your one-stop company for all your custom apparel needs. They do it all, from screen printing and embroidery, a great partner for tournaments, clubs, or teams. VII Apparel CO creates the best jerseys in disc golf. Make sure you check out VIIapparel.co to see all of their other offerings as well. Grab your first edition Running It With Nate Sexton t-shirt 
Get your pre-order in now at viiapparel.co. Well, I think the last thing before we let you go, uh, Eagle, is something I've been interested in. How's the uh, how's the new plastic feeling for you? Obviously, you guys got your own thing going now. You're popping out your own new discs. They're a little different. Are you are you adjusting well to the to the new molds and the new feels? Yeah, I think it's really cool. Uh, being able to throw discs made exclusively by your company and know what the future holds is is very enticing because we for those who don't know disc mania used to essentially you know uh kind of have other companies make their disc for them so their our main manufacturer was innova and you know that whole relationship was incredible and without them we wouldn't be where we are today but at a certain point you know there's only so far we can grow and now that, you know, we're our own manufacturer, that allows us to essentially make as many discs as we, as we want and also make some more unique style discs. And it allows me to have a lot more input to what I like. So it was in July last year where we made this announcement and Pretty much as soon as uh, we did, we had discs ready to go. So uh, I started putting with the new P2. I had the, the new DD3 in the bag. That's the one I threw the 700 feet. Uh, new MD3, the new plastic uh, with, in, with a tactic. So it's all in my bag right now. And, you know, I think it flies really great. The durability is awesome. And, uh, you know, I, I haven't had any issues adapting to it. I feel like you've never had any issues adapting. You've always been a really early adopter. Whenever Discmania came out with some new stuff, I remember you always had that. Like you had those Chinese-made ones in the bag right away. You're always really good at, at finding a use for something new because pretty much all the discs are useful in their own way. You know, with a good thrower, you can you can find a line with almost anything. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much any disc has a has a use. Well, yeah, man. I I just want to say I got a ton of respect for you. You 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 continue to be wise beyond your years. I uh, wish you the best uh, this upcoming season and beyond. And and I'm looking forward to getting out there and sharing that first tee with you, and uh, seeing the, some of those new tricks you're bringing out for us. Well, hopefully I can uh, get them going pretty soon. Sweet. Well, thank you very much, man, and have have a good night. We really appreciate you joining the show. Yeah, thanks, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Eagle. Well, Nate, I get excited about every single episode, like I said in the beginning, man, but I was really pumped about having Eagle on. And I, I think you mentioned it a few times and I brought it up too. But, you know, he doesn't get mentioned with the young guys. They mention him with, with all the veterans and it's because he's been around for a while, but I don't think we've seen his best golf yet. No, no chance, I think. I mean, if he can stay healthy, which by all accounts he should, he works hard, as we as he made clear. Uh, I think certainly you're going to see him kind of ascending into that number one rated player in the world, maybe by five or six points at some point in the next three to four years. That that wouldn't surprise me much. I'm obviously there's going to be challengers. There always will. But man, he's just he's a smart guy. He's a talented guy, hard worker. Uh, hard to bet against uh, him continuing to push this game forward. Yeah, and his throws are just scary, and it's it's God given or whatever you want to call it. But like, you just can't teach somebody to throw seven hundred. Oh, if I knew how, I would I would have taught <laughs> I would have taught number one first. I would have taught yours truly first. And uh, yeah, so you know, I don't know how. Yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it, and it should be it should be exciting, as you mentioned. Uh, you guys should be on the on the card together at Las Vegas with the the last four winners. So, um, get a chance to get out there and and play with him right away. I'm I'm sure it's fun for you, but it's also got to be like, uh, gotta go play against the Eagle right off the beginning, huh? Uh, I don't think of it that way. They they don't design too many holes that I can't birdie. So he could go higher spike hyzer or whatever, and you know, he might get some ego looks, which is awesome because that's just exciting for everybody. But it's not like, you know, if they start designing courses, which they kind of did at the Portland Open. But if you start to design courses that I can't get birdies, then I might be mad. 
but uh, but uh, as long as as I can still reach the the greens in regulation and have a putt, I can compete with anybody. Hey, he might be the eagle, but you still got the Firebird. Hey, so, true, true. You know, it's it goes it goes both ways. So uh, another awesome another awesome episode. Really looking forward to some of the awesome guests that we have lined up for some more of these episodes. Having a lot of fun getting disc golf content out during the off season. Although, uh, like I know we talked about earlier, you get to actually get out and play. I just have to sit at home and watch Joe Mez and and wait for the. Wait, wait for the season to get started or, or the, or the snow to melt, whichever comes first here. So, um, looking, looking forward to Las Vegas, counting down to it, uh, every single day. Are you, are you starting to get a little more serious with your, with your, your preparation now as we're getting closer? I'm starting to, to feel that itch in a major way, but I'm still pushing a stroller every single round, um, that I go out to play. So, so does Big Germ. Yeah, true, true. But there's nobody talking to him. Well, and I love and I love it, but but yeah, definitely uh feeling like I need to block out some time to to get serious about some aspects of my game and get everything polished up and ready to go for those bright lights in Las Vegas. Yeah, always a always a fun tournament. So, I am down the beginning of the regular season, but in the meantime, you guys can stick right here with us running it at Nate Sexton. We'll keep cranking out awesome disc golf content for you. Uh guys, remember to check out our sponsors. It means a lot to us, means a lot to the show. Uh plus you guys are disc golf fans. We're just giving you guys cool discounts to go get stuff that you're going to get anyway. So, uh thank you again to uh all of our sponsors on the show here. Nate, we had Eagle on he goes through a, a crazy regiment. He's out there. He's training hard. He's getting ready. There, there's no time for laying it up. Only in the only in the the perfect moment. But a lot of times, you just gotta run. Gotta run it, guys. Till next time. He's Nate Sexton. I'm Jared. Or we are out of time. We'll see you guys next week.